everybody. And uh, for those of you who are live streaming, good morning to you. If you're having any issues, make sure you uh, let us know. Uh, Vince is back here tweaking things. That's what he does. Vince is a tweaker, right? <laughs> um, just want to bring your attention to a couple of things before we get started this morning. If you go to our website, uh, we have updates regarding the coronavirus. You can click on there. Uh, next Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday. And I'll be bringing a message from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, about the return of Christ. He came months. He's coming again. And uh, times like this make me look forward to it even more. Tonight at 6 p.m., we have an online prayer meeting. I highly recommend that you join us for prayer. These are the days that prayer is necessary and needed. Um, if we seek him with a whole heart, then he will be found by us. What's going to happen, though, if we are not seeking him? Um, thank you for those of you who have been tithing through online or through mailing it in. We appreciate that. Your tithes and offerings um, help keep us afloat. And uh, let's see, is that it? Yeah, I think that's all I got right now. Wonderful. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open them to the book of John? John Hang on here guys fourteen twenty seven John fourteen twenty seven You know what they say about technology, right? It's great as long as you don't need it. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay? Now turn to Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Okay, one more. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Let's pray. Father, we intentionally enter into your presence giving you praise for being the everlasting God the almighty God the Lord Yahweh the becoming one who becomes for us those things which we need and certainly Lord for many in our country and even in our congregation 
There are those who are in need, and I ask you this morning that you indeed become for them that which they need. I pray, Father, that as I teach on these verses that we have read, that your Holy Spirit would be the one who is actually guiding and directing us in the truth. You created us in your image. You desire to fellowship with us. You desire to fill us with goodness and peace and truth. And so we come before you asking you to do just that as we sit here in your presence, knowing that you are among us. We love you, Father. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Center for Disease Control, on its website, you will see this observation. The outbreak outbreak of coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, may be stressful for people, (laughs) you think? Fear and anxiety about a disease can be overwhelming and cause strong emotions in adults and children. Coping with stress will make you, the people you care about, and your community stronger. Everyone reacts differently to stressful situations. How you respond to the outbreak can depend on your background, the things that make you different from other people, and the community you live in. We're going to deal with this morning how we are responding internally, emotionally, spiritually toward this trauma that our country is going through. They tell us that stress during an infectious disease outbreak can include fear and worry about your own health and the health of your loved ones, changes in sleep or eating patterns, It's changed mine since I can't go anywhere. Pretty much all I do is graze all day long. (laughs) Difficulty sleeping or concentrating. Worsening of chronic health problems. Increased use of alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs. Yeah, pray for my wife, would you? No, I'm just kidding. It's not true. An obsession with toilet paper and hand sanitizer. I was on a website of a a Christian professional counselor and education expert. And on her website, she talked about finding peace in this kind of times by focusing on your breathing and breathing techniques. Certainly we, you know, this is a great opportunity to tell people how to find peace. But I got to tell you, I was taken aback a little bit. Is there no more scriptural way to find peace in trials like those we face today? It's as if John fourteen twenty seven was never spoken by Jesus. What did he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He he said this on the night preceding his death. He knew he was going to be beaten. He was going to be whipped. And he was going to be crucified the next day. And he's talking about peace. Must be something different there, eh? Uh, John 16.33, same evening, same discussion, same people. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, (laughs) you think? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In him. Paul 
Philippians 4, 6, very, very familiar verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul wrote these things, it was Nero that was on the throne. And for the Christian, it was a very, very tumultuous, traumatic time. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Colossians 3.15, Paul said, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, he said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. The word peace in the Greek is Irene. So if your name is Irene, you're a person of peace. It is the Hebrew, well, it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. It signifies a sense of well-being and harmony both within and without. Okay, let me say that again. Listen carefully. It signifies a sense of well-being and harmony both within and without. It's the absence of agitation or discord within. A state of calm without anxiety or stress. Think about that. My peace. I give to you. James Boyce said, Shalom is a large embracing word for the good that comes to the one God favors. John MacArthur observed, close to the meaning of the Hebrew word Shalom is the word used by the Kekchi Indians of Guatemala who define peace as quiet goodness. I like that. I think that's a great word picture for the biblical concept of peace. Doesn't focus on the absence of trouble and is unrelated to circumstances. It's a goodness of life that is not touched by what happens on the outside. You may be in the midst of great trials and still have biblical peace. David experienced it. In Psalm 4, um, he's complaining to the Lord about the trials that he is going through. Another insurrection. It could be the, that was Saul was chasing him for his life. More than likely, it was Absalom trying to steal the kingdom from him and seeking David's life. And then at the end of the psalm, he says, I will lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. One writer said, If the Lord does not change the place for the better, he will make us the better in the place. Peace. How do you appropriate that? I mean, how do you, how do you get a hold of that and experience it? Well, for that, go to Isaiah 26.3. <clears throat> through the prophet Isaiah he both offers up a prayer and then puts forth a challenge he says in verse 3 you, that is God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. And then he tells us, trust in the Lord forever. For Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. That word mind is yetzter, yetzter. 
And it means to frame a thing, you know? We talk about people sometimes being in a certain frame of mind. They, they, they are looking at things through a certain mental attitude. In this case, peace comes when one's frame of mind, one's mental attitude, is leaning on God. Why do I say leaning? Because that phrase, stay your mind on him, means to lean upon. The word stay means to lean upon. It was used in Leviticus when describing the laying of your hand on a sacrifice's head that was required. You brought your, your cow or your oxen in to be sacrificed for your sins, and you were required to lay your hand on its head. But it wasn't just to be a light touch. You were to actually lean all your weight upon that animal that absorbed the sacrifice for your sins. So in essence... What he's saying here is to lean all the weight of your mind, both your rational thought and your imagination, your whole frame of mind, let it be on who? Him, right? In me. You'll have peace in me, Jesus said. Remember Bill Withers? Lean on me when you're not strong. This is God calling out to you to lean on him. So when we form a mental attitude and outlook based on who he is, we're kept at perfect peace. Now that phrase, perfect peace, in the Hebrew is literally shalom, shalom. It's for emphasis. Peace, peace. What is perfect peace? Well, Paul described it in Philippians 4, 7, right? A peace that passes understanding. I know looking at the circumstances surrounding me right now, I should be agitated and worried. But I'm walking around with a silly grin on my face because within me, I have a peace. I'm trusting in Yah, the everlasting God. So, or F.B. Meyer, he said, understand, dear soul, that it is your privilege to live inside the double doors of God's loving care. He says to you, peace, peace. If one assurance is not enough, then he follows it with a second and a third. You ever had to assure your kids that everything was going to be all right, that there are no monsters under their bed or in the closet? And did they settle for one assurance? No, you had to keep coming back and keep coming back. And that's your father. He's assuring you. So you might ask, well, what am I supposed to do then? Just think about Jesus all day? I mean, that's hard to do when you're rushing here and there, when you're taking care of business and your family and who knows what now. Looking at, uh, You're looking around at the stores for those N95 masks and, and I'm afraid about losing my job. And man, what's going to happen if I contract COVID-19, right? And by the way, which store has toilet paper and hand sanitizer available? Well, I, I understand what you're saying. Your, your thoughts can be consumed with the worries, the cares, and the concerns. But on the other hand, when it talks about keeping your mind on God, it's very doable. Just think about it for a second. Before the virus, Sherry and I spent a lot of hours apart. She's at work, I'm in the ministry, and we would see each other in the evening for a few hours before we went to bed, right? Not much time being together. But I will tell you that she was always and is always not far from my thoughts and from my heart. She's always right there. And as far as getting a hold of her, only a text away. God's the same only a breath away it can always be there on the edges of your heart always but what we're really speaking about here is needing some time to silence ourselves to give ourselves time to form that mental attitude and outlook based upon who he is 
and what he promises and what his principles and precepts are. In other words, it takes time and mental discipline to stay your mind, to lean totally on him. So let's talk about that for a second. Turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, and again, the occasion for this psalm is Absalom's rebellion. That kid caused more trouble for his old man, I tell you what. And verse 1, notice what it says. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. I'm running from my, for my life from my son. <clears throat> but I'm going just to wait silently on my God. Then look at verse 5. My soul, he's talking to himself here. All right, you ever talk to yourself? Yes, you do. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He's got to remind himself. He's got to remind himself. David waited silently. It's a picture of being still, waiting on God alone. His whole being is one great stillness. Focus not on breathing techniques, not on clamorous passions, not on loud voice desires, but his focus on him, who he is, and the truth of his word. You see, in 1 Samuel 7, God promised David that he would give him rest from all of his enemies, that he would establish a house for him, and that when his days were over and he was to rest with his ancestors, which obviously in Psalm 62 is in David's future, right? I will raise up an offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's got that promise. He's got his word, the word of God. And that's what he needs to dwell upon now. That's need, what he needs to focus in on. Andrew McLaren said, <clears throat> Do not let the loud utterances of your own will anticipate nor drown the still small voice in which God speaks. Bridle impatient till he does. If you cannot hear his whisper, wait till you do. Wait. My soul silently waits upon God. In times of trouble, instead of mulling on the problem over and over, and by the way, you can choose what you think about. Isn't that true? You can choose what you think about. Sometimes it's a wrestling match because... It wants to fight for the dominance in your mind. So in times of trouble, instead of mulling the problem over and over, the greatest need we have is a time of reverential silence and patience as we wait for God. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> Isn't that the, the big $64,000 question? Well, number one, we shut up. <laughs> All right. Psalm 46.10, why don't you turn there real quick. Psalm 46.10, <clears throat> be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The New American Standard renders that phrase, be still, as cease striving. The command comes from the Hebrew imperative verb. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of grammar, but it's important here because it makes a difference into the meaning. 
It comes from a Hebrew imperative verb that means to sink down, let it drop, relax. We might say, chillax. (laughs) Most people quote the verse in a soothing, reassuring tone, as if it were like an invitation to enjoy fellowship with God, but that's not what this is, guys. What it is, in fact, is a rebuke. Some scholars say it's addressed to the nations attacking God's covenant people. I mean, read the context of the psalm. Others say God is rebuking the Hebrews for their lack of trust in him. It's most likely both. The psalmist depicts the Lord as an angry parent breaking up a fight between siblings. Have you ever done that, parents? Yeah? What do you say? Hey, 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 knock it off. Stop it. I brain you both. Notice that being still is something we're being told to do. Be still is an imperative verb in the Hebrew, and it's a command to do something. To do what? Cause to be still. In other words, you've got the responsibility. Make it stop. In the NASB, it renders it in the negative. Stop doing something. Cease striving. Now, in context with the psalm, he's talking about warfare. He's he's telling the world just to knock it off, right? Stop it. In trying to get to that quiet place, that still place, we've got to tell the war that's going inside of our heads. Knock it off. Stop it. I don't know who said this, but it was... Very, very, uh, very poignant. The sweet voices of pleading affections, the loud cry of desires and instincts that roar for their food like beasts of prey, the querulous complaints of disappointed hopes, the groans and sobs of black-robed sorrows, the loud hubbub and babble like the noise of a great city that every man carries within must be stifled and coerced into silence. You guys have heard of the dog whisperer, Caesar Milan, right? I love watching his, his videos on YouTube. Um, I'm always tempted to take what I see there and to go out in the street and find someone else's dog and try it on him, but uh, you don't do that. Well, one of the things that he advocated to get your dog to be decoressed or coerced, coerced into stillness was a thing called alpha rolling. You ever heard of that? Alpha rolling? That's when you get on top of your dog and you lay him on the ground and you put your hand on his neck and get him to be still. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, you ever tried that? <laughs> Dogs have three responses. They uh, fight, flight, or submit. And if they submit, that's only so they can get back up to either flee or fight. One of the two. Dogs bite. Well, the reason I brought up that example is that we have to take the animal in us by the throat and sternly say, lie down and be quiet. We have to silence that white noise within. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have to be intentional about this time that you want to spend with the Lord. You have to be intentional about it. For Susanna Wesley, the animal was her 19 children. Can you imagine in your house right now, 19 kids running around? Um, this is sort of like a visa's house, you guys, all right? It, there is no place to go. You know, they find you everywhere, right? Well, what would she do? Well, her quiet place was putting a towel over her head. That was it. And the kids learned because she had a few come-to-Jesus meetings outside with them when they interrupted her that they knew you don't mess with Mama when she's got that towel over her head. She's talking to Jesus, and if you mess with her, she's going to send you to Jesus. Okay? So... You have to let your family know that there's, there's this time that 
you know, this is my quiet time with the Lord. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. We have to take that animal in us by the throat and say, lie down and be quiet. <clears throat> now, what I'm, what I'm so uneloquently trying to say is this. The silence of the soul before God is, is not a passive act, okay? It is intentional, and it requires energy to keep all of our being still, waiting upon him. So put all your strength into the task and realize that your soul is never so intensely alive as when the way it's hushed before God. The work of silencing is the work of refocusing. All right? You can't shut it off in your head, at least not biblically. <clears throat> what we do do is Quit thinking about the white noise and focus our thinking on him. His attributes, his promises, his precepts, his principles. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. The word meditate in the Hebrew has the idea of a cow chewing cud where you chew on it, you swallow it, and then you regurgitate it, and then you chew on it, and you swallow it. And we have that phrase as sort of a, an idiom that we say, you know, let me chew on that for a while, which either means you're not going to do anything they just ask you to, or you're actually thinking about it, meditating on it. And that's what we are to do. <clears throat> In the mornings, um, our family, typically, this is our, our devotional time. Uh, we get up early, and we, we have time alone with the Lord. I sit down, and all of a sudden, my head is flooded with everything that I've got to do. I've got to prep for counseling. I should do that. Maybe I should go do that right now and not do this, you know. Um, or... I get asked if I've put the trash out yet. And, uh, and I mentioned that Heather's going to take it out. I need to call John because I know I was supposed to meet with him. And then all of a sudden, you've got these voices in my head that start telling me, you know what? You're pretty undependable. <laughs> you should have this all figured out before you sat down today, right? And remember back in 1977 when you did this thing? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you're a real dirtbag, aren't you? Yeah, I know. And remember when you yelled at that coworker? Yeah, yeah. And you see, and your mind is just racing and going, and it's thinking, and you're condemning yourself. All of that stuff goes on. And then all of a sudden, this still small voice, it's actually a loud voice, says, Dennis, what are you doing? Be still, son, and know that I'm God. Knock it off. So in my devotional, I'm reading Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay. And I say, Father, you are El Shaddai. I know that because I've been studying the Word and I've been listening to sermons and I've been practicing my faith. You are El Shaddai, Almighty God, the omnipotent God, all-powerful. And there's nothing too hard for you. Your secret place is here in the most holy place. And here, right now, by the blood of Christ, I'm entering into worship. Say it here. Say it here. Speak it so that you can be quiet. But you see what I'm doing is I'm refocusing my thoughts. I'm choosing to think over here. And sometimes it's better to say it than just to think it because if you think it, all of a sudden, one thought bumps into another thought, and it's like a domino effect, and there you go. You're, all, you're back there again. Devotion time's over. Spent my time with the Lord, and I'm at peace. No anxiety, no stress. I feel good. Matter of fact, many, many, many times, I don't want to get up and leave that place. I want to stay right there because it is a joy and there is peace. But... Got to live my life. Got to get busy, right? 
So I go over to Costco, right over here, 83rd and Union Hills, and I see that there's a line wrapped around the building. <laughs> All right. So uh, I start thinking, well, you know, what if? Yeah. What if this is the way things are right now, just a few weeks in, what's it going to be like for another month of this? And what's going to happen at the end of it when the economy, you know, what, what's going to go on with that? People are going to lose their jobs, you know, and then, wow, what if it goes on even longer? Am I going to lose my job? Is everybody? And then my imagination hits hyperdrive. Dr. Fauci said that we could expect as many as 200,000 casualties in this thing. And I read the Drudge Report this morning, and it said there could be 2 million. What if I die? Who's going to take care of Sherry? Who's going to take care of Heather? I'll never get that dog I wanted. And you know what? I have been feeling a little tired lately and fatigued. Then the Holy Spirit sums and he says, hey, hey, knock it off. Be still and know that I am God. Turn your attention on me now. And the Lord will say, do you remember Abraham and Isaac? Yeah. Yeah, well, tell me that story. You mean the one word? Yeah, the one where they went up on the hill. Oh, so he's going to offer a sacrifice? And uh, Isaac was the son, and he noticed that dad had wood and had fire, but didn't have a sacrifice. And, and so Isaac asked, you know, um, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he used the term what? And, and the Lord said, well, what was, what was the name? What was the name he called me there? Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He says, okay. He says, well, who else was sacrificed on Mount Moriah, Dennis? Well, Christ was crucified on Mount Moriah, right? And what did Paul say about this in Romans 8? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Okay, he says, well, in that context, Dennis, what's, what's my name again? Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. All right, well, if I provided for your salvation, will I not provide for your toilet paper? And what did Paul say to the Philippians about this provision? Well, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's right. And that's a promise, isn't it? It is. Do I keep my promises, Dennis? Yes, you are. You are the promise keeper. All right, then. Peace. Be still. And my heart's comforted. And I'm okay. Why? Because it's in Yah I trust. My peace is in him. And then the spirit might say something like, when you get to the checkout counter, I want you to tell the cashier what I just told you. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. I got it. I get up there. <clears throat> I don't have my uh, toilet paper, but I do have my jelly beans and my, uh, my crunchy Cheetos. And I tell the story. Hey, let me tell you about this what I've been learning in church and what the Lord showed me in the word. And the clerk's not impressed. And you think like, well, that was a waste of time. What, what was that all about? But I felt convicted to do that. And then the woman behind me, wearing a self-made hazmat suit out of saran wrap, wearing five N95 masks under a homemade face mask out of a five-gallon water bottle, She says, you know, and you look at her, her cart, and in her cart are 25 cases of toilet paper. And she says, you know, I, I heard your story there, and I'm feeling a little convicted. And uh, so I, I want to give you one of these packages of toilet paper. 
Oh, praise the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, God provided. Right? Now, as I am leaving, I get stopped by somebody else who is looking for the sacred toilet paper. And they say, where did you get that? I said, well, let me tell you a story. And then after I finish the story, I say, hey, you know what? Here, take this. This is yours. You don't even need to pay for it. The Lord provided for me. He provides for you, too. Now, when I get home, and of course, by this time, I'm stoked. Okay? I don't care about COVID-19 or anything else. I'm just stoked in the Lord, filled with his peace and joy and kindness. And then when I get home in the quiet of the night, when everyone else is in bed, I open my Bible to Psalm 91, where I was in the morning. And I read, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I start to think. I've, I've hushed all the voices. Father, I'm just focusing on you now. The lines are long, the shelves are bare, but you are Jehovah Jireh. And I just think about that name. Thank you for providing your son as a sacrifice. Thank you for taking care of even such mundane needs as toilet paper. And I do that all in my own heart, in my own mind. Because he's never let me down. He's always provided. Satan will whisper, yeah, but just wait till the other shoe drops. Just wait. He's been saying that for 63 years. And the shoe has never dropped. And God has never failed. God, you are so good. So then I just quietly sit in that secret place, eyes closed, hands raised, and say, thank you, Lord. What an awesome day. Can't wait to go to sleep and wake up tomorrow. See what's going to happen. Right? Consciously, deliberately, intentionally, seize these unexpected opportunities given you and concentrate exclusively on Him and the life of the Spirit. Even if you are provided with only a few seconds, even if it's not an absolutely quiet or completely solitary place, enjoy what one commentator calls the restoration found in the conscious presence of Jesus Christ. All right? All right, worship team, come on up. We're going to partake in communion now. So families, uh, give you a few moments to gather your elements. And we will um, spend a, a few moments now just in worship and praise as we prepare.
of communion, the body and the blood of Christ. Something I want to share before we partake, and that is perhaps a more profound truth about shalom is that it's a state of being as well as an attitude. And it results of having experienced reconciliation and forgiveness from God through the gospel of Christ. Peace in the Jewish sense is the symphony of life made meaningful through a right relationship with God. Someone has estimated that up to two-thirds of the biblical uses of shalom allude to the total fulfillment that comes when a man experiences God's presence and pleasure. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior and confessed your sins, then you receive his favor and his pleasure and his presence. So, as Paul said, that which I received from the Lord, I've delivered unto you. That when Jesus was speaking to the disciples on the night before he was crucified, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood, which is the new covenant. So let's pray. Father, right now, in your presence, we commune with one another as we commune with you, taking the body and the blood of Christ, thanking you for the broken body that opened the way into the most holy place where we could have that communion which results in peace, peace. And we thank you for the blood that was shed that forgave us of our sins, that made us righteous before you. Without that, there would be no entering in at all. So we give you thanks for making a way. We give you praise for your love 
And now we partake in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And as we finish up with a uh, little bit more time of worship, may you meditate and contemplate that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let us keep silent before him and let us worship the Lamb. Amen. Amen.